0: Welcome to the Leather Sellers Presents Outsider Craft with me, Yusuf Osman. A podcast that seeks to rediscover the purpose and meaning of craft as we navigate complex issues that we face as individuals and together as a society. Welcome to the Leather Sellers Presents Outsider Craft Podcast, Jasmine. Hello, thank you for having me I've decided to do this podcast, and the name Outsider Craft came to me because of my love for outside of art, really, which is art that is made outside the mainstream and i I'm not generally a fan of museums and non-contemporary art because to me it's very traditional and so when i found out about outsider art, outside of art it, it it speaks to me more and so i wanted to make this podcast and title it also around something that feels like home to me which is the story of being from the outside and that's how my journey has been in trying to access the mainstream of contemporary craft and That's why I thought it would be a good name to call it Outsider Craft. What does Outsider Craft mean to you?
1: Um, It means that there's lots of people who feel the same way, like you, who don't feel welcome or can relate to um, craft in the more traditional setting, like museums and galleries and things Mm. like that. And because I kind of, from the way I studied and things got introduced to museums, not so much galleries, but museums and the bigger art galleries, it was more, I'm used to them, Mm. whereas a lot of people aren't. So I'd like to sort of emphasise the fact that it is for everybody and you don't have to be from a certain background to Mm. be interested in it because there's so much to craft and creativity in all different shapes and forms.
0: For me, this trip to India actually was... Very much a has been a very much a pivotal point and a highlight into what craft really is because my experience of it has been in this country, my my direct experience of it uh, as a practitioner of craft. Because before that, I didn't identify my life as full of craft, but it's when I saw my culture in context in India and I realised that. Craft is not something that you necessarily practice. it is also, but it is something that you live with every day and in a way that made me really angry because I thought here, so many people are excluded from craft, people whose cultures actually come from craft and 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 you were excluded because craft is made this elite thing when in fact craft is a part of being human yeah. it is part of everyone's cultures in fact unlike art craft has always been linked to our existence as a species everything we do everything we did had some element of craft because we had to learn to live in the world whether that be making our homes um, or making our tools and making our knives everything was a craft at some point mm-hmm. and we've got to this stage where we've forgotten that and I think it's really important that we reconnect with that yeah. because I think all of the problems that we have today is because we're removing craft from all elements of society and then we're not left with our humanity, which is what craft is to me. Mm. And so I think that's why it's really important for me to to have this podcast and to have these conversations because I think it's important that everyone feels part of the craft conversation. Yeah and that people feel that they can engage with it and that it doesn't have to be something that they do. In, you know, in my classes, I teach so many people from kids to adults, obviously, and and I thought this about myself, that people always think I'm not creative enough, I don't have a craft background, is it valuable if I'm going to do it just part-time? Is it valuable if I don't make any money from it? And all of those things do I say yes, you know, because... It doesn't matter if you're not creative or if you don't think of yourself as creative. We are all creative because we are human and it's and we just need to tap into it in a way. So I think it's really important that we include everyone back into that conversation because I think it can help us to also deal with so many of the problems we're having. You know, Even if we don't engage with craft on a daily basis, if we understand it, We can value it. Mm. Some people don't need to engage with craft themselves, but they can be the patrons of it. You know, we need all of those people. Mm. But if you don't engage with it, if you don't understand it, then we don't have those people.
1: Yeah. It's also kind of, um, lots of people don't realise that because they're so scared of making mistakes that they Mm. won't do anything. So what I find with people who are learning new skills or something that's um, craft-based they're scared to try anything because they're like, well, what if it goes wrong? It's mm. like, well, if it goes wrong, you just try again. You learn from it. That's the whole point. Mm. You learn from making mistakes, but so many people are just so used to, or depends on the system that they're in, but a lot of people are being educated in a way that the focus is on not making a mistake.
0: I was going to say, where does it come from? But does it come from school? Yeah. It Cause it's from- kind of,
1: um, passing exams and, um, Ticking the right boxes and just making sure that you meet the criteria, and it's it's. I'm noticing that there's more and more who just won't try something because they're worried if it's going to be wrong, mm. and they're like, "Well, what happens if I do this?" It's like, do it, and they're like, "Yeah, but mm. what happens?" It's like, well, the only way you'll find out what happens is if you do it, but they want to know the answer before they try. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's really important to get, and there's a lot who don't know how to use their hands because they're like, oh, I can't do it like you. I was like, right. well, yeah, I've been doing it for 20 yeah, years. So all my hands are used to moving like that. It's about practice. I you always use the example of, which is ironic because I can't ride a bike. I was like, can you ride a bike? And like, yes. Some are like me and say no. But I was like, did you get on the bike and be able to ride it straight away? No. So why are you expecting to be why able to? Why do make- we
0: expect that? I mean, in my class, everybody, you know, hundreds of students, everyone, you know, 99% of them will say, you do it better than me. Yeah. But I don't understand why that. And I I'm probably do that as a student yeah. as well, and maybe less so now that I'm better at understanding that. Hmm. But it's strange that we expect ourselves to know something from the first moment exactly. that we do it and and, and, and and that we're shocked that we don't.
1: It makes no sense. It's, imagine, it's like um, suddenly deciding you're going to be a brain surgeon and cutting somebody open Mm. and being expecting to know it straight away. It's like, no, you need to know Mm. them. I don't know. Why did I say brain surgeon? I know nothing about brain surgery. But it's just kind of those basics Mm. about how to, the what's that word? The amber, the The, amber? Neurodextrous. That's the one. Yeah, you need to know. It's kind of, it's not just remembering in your head. It's remembering with your hands Mm. or your feet, or sometimes it's your hands and your feet. Sometimes your hands, your feet and and your head at the same time. But it's all those different things. You're kind of um, training your brain and your motor skills Mm. how to do. But a lot of people don't understand that that's what it is and beat themselves up because they can't do it straight away.
0: So do you think, as you teach at university level now, do you think that element of experimentation and Development and craft is still there, or do well? You said people it depends still on where do they've
1: it. done their foundation course and what they've done, and what elements they've done. So it really, de- it it's really, uh, it's pot luck as to what skills they have when mm. they come to university. So some will be taught more of the drawing element because the person who's teaching them knows that area, and they'll cover a little bit of the making and the craft and stuff. And others will go full in with mm. the craft and making. So people come from different. Um, backgrounds and what happens is that they start comparing themselves as like yeah but they've been doing it for two years longer than mm. you so obviously they'll know more than you it's practice and that's the thing a lot of them just kind of go they do it once and it's wrong and they oh i can't do it mm. it's like yeah of course you can't you've just done it the first time you are learning so it's kind of understanding that you're going to make mistakes except you're going to make some mistakes and just keep going and just keep going and it's about practice because there's nothing there's nothing creative that you can do the first time and get it straight away. Yeah. So if you're a dancer, you don't just suddenly get up and can do all the um, the moves. Um, you have to practice. Mm. And then all, also there's um, people who are skilled, um, like musicians, the people who do that thing. What's that thing called?
0: Violin.
1: Thank you. Even when they're masters and they've been doing it for years and years, they still practice. Mm. So it's kind of, Stop assuming that you're going to be perfect straight away. You're not. And why do you need to be per- perfect? Mm. Why is there a need for perfection?
0: So so I'm assuming that because you're saying all this that you're also really good at taking that advice when you're in the studio, right? No, it's so hard.
1: Uh, I, it's the kind of do as I say, don't do as I do. It's ironic. There's times when I have that conversation with students and then I go and sort of go away somewhere and then laugh at myself mm. because or when I'm when I've had that day at work when I'm saying the same thing over and again then I'm in the studio and then I'm beating myself up about things going thing. wrong yeah. and then I have to sort of stop and go hello hello so yeah it's really hard to take your own advice yeah I... yeah but that's I think that's the same with most people but I think mm. I'm really lucky that I have that insight so that I can recognize yeah. that in myself more
0: the other day um, I teach leather working at a secondary school, and I my goal with that is to teach them how to think creatively and not necessarily to make a thing mm. and so while I was away, somebody was covering and one of the students made a wallet and functionally it it wasn't working the button came off mm. and I told him that you know the best times to find a creative solution is when you make a mistake mm. and so he had this card wallet and so we decided to fix it and he added a design detail and we and it looked really really cool mm. and I thought why can I never tell myself that when I'm in the studio which is you know often for me I work in a very formulaic way oh. because I want things to be perfect and, and and that sort of container, not only the container of my studio, but the container of my work is something that I no longer feel the need to feel secure with. Oh. And so we shall see where it leads. Yeah. But it's interesting that it, how craft can be used as a way to Deal with those difficult things because they are difficult things. It's difficult to accept that you're not going to be perfect, that you're going to make mistakes because so much of that is based on identity. Mm. And especially as someone like me, if I've, as you've been hard on yourself as a way of proving that you are valid as a human being, then it's hard to let that go and accept that actually you're valid even when you're not making and Mm. you don't have to achieve to be, to have validity as a person or as a human being and you don't have to be perfect for your work to have validity and you don't even have to work at all to have any validity. But it's hard because it's so intertwined for for me and so it's kind of unlearning that. But where I've had craft as that crutch, so because I've used it as a way of propping up all of these things, when I intertwine from it um, or unwind from them, it's then having the craft and looking at it and think, when I've used something, how can I now create from joy? Because it has always been something that I used to give myself a voice. Mm. And now I'm like, well, I don't feel I need that anymore. So how can I create from a place that doesn't need to prove itself? By just creating but I don't need to because I don't need to prove myself. Yeah, so but I, you don't
1: need to create to prove yourself. You so just then create. I don't need to do anything. Then
0: that's I don't know. That's how it feels.
1: But do you only create to prove um, um, prove yourself, or do you create because you enjoy it?
0: I definitely enjoy it, but it has been that signifier of things too. So when that signifier is gone, I now have to. I guess give myself permission to create just for joy.
1: You don't have to do anything, you just create. It doesn't have to be a label to it, just just do it. I'll try. I'll give that Make a go. Make a mess. I'll give that
0: a go. I am not good at
1: just making a mess. Yeah, you've seen my studio, I'm very good at making yeah. a
0: mess. I'm good
1: at putting things away. Yeah. I'm <laughs> good, good at tidy. doing this. <laughs> yeah. Putting things away, so yeah. Maybe I should make you sit on my messy desk for a bit and see how that works for you. That might actually <laughs>
0: put you over the <laughs> give, edge.
1: Give me a nervous <laughs> breakdown.
0: No, I think, I think I'm think i ready to make a mess.
1: Hmm. Making a mess can be fun. It can be a bit frustrating to tidy up afterwards, but then a lot of the time I just sort of shove it into a box somewhere.
0: I mean, I do the same. Hmm. Just make it look nice on the surface. <laughs> yeah. So, you were born in Deptford?
1: I was born, actually, I was born in Dulwich. Right. I was made in Deptford.
0: I see (laughs) that technicality. Yeah. But I remember you saying that you lived next to Cockpit or you. I had
1: my first studio was London Youth Support Trust. They were brilliant. Um, that was a, a Fair Charm Trading Estate, which was next to Cockpit, mm. and I was there. That's when I was doing the market stall and doing clothes and sewing and things. And I didn't really know about Cockpit, and it was literally next door. Mm.
0: So I moved into a Cockpit in 2019.
1: Mm. Was it 2019? We met. We met
0: soon after, right?
1: Well, technically, we met on Instagram. Because yes. I first heard about you when Val sent me, Valerie Michael sent me a message about mm. um, the possibility of teaching leather to schools.
0: Oh, yes. Because oh I done that, God, that's I, I, I did
1: that course at, yes. with her yes. and she sent me the message because she knew that I already taught and then I'd done that leather course with her. And when she sent me that email, I thought, oh, my God, is she crazy? I don't know enough about leather. But right, then I saw right. she messaged me and you at the well, same copied,
0: time.
1: yeah. So then I followed you on Instagram. And then something that's very unusual is that I actually, when I saw your work and I remember you was moving out of Kindred, Kindred Studios yeah.
0: at that time. So and that you didn't know where it was going to go. Yeah. yeah,
1: And I sort of went, oh, why didn't you come to Cockpit? And it was unusual because I don't normally message mm. strangers on Instagram. But when I'm passionate about something and it's, yeah. when it's creative and things, I kind of forget that I don't like talking to people. Mm, mm. <laughs> I'm very introverted. So it's a bit like, oh, I'm talking to a stranger. But I didn't think that because I was just thinking, oh, yeah. Leather guy. Oh, he should come to court, but he'll be brilliant for him. So, yeah, we technically met in person 2019. 2019. But I met you online yeah. 2018.
0: Yeah, and we both have that link with Valerie, Michael, and yes. Neil McGregor because we both took our first leather working course with them, I think.
1: Yeah, that wasn't my first leather working course. No. I did some little short courses before mm. that, and then there was leather people who told me about the course, and... um because I was at copy at the time and I was getting mm. into leather. So I was lucky because um, Candice Lau was across the corridor for me. And she was sort of lending me her tools and try things. And, oh, sorry, don't break the thing. <laughs> um, and then um, on the ground floor was, oh, what's his name? Tallowin, Mark Tallowen. Uh, yes, 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 And he was great as well because I was learning and trying things. And he would like, try this, try that. Mm-hmm. And he lent me um, Valerie Michael and Neil McGregor's book. The book that every leather worker yeah. in the world has, I think. and I looked through that, <laughs> and I just like, okay, you know what, I need to do that course with Barry Michael. So it's a bit like, and but I couldn't afford it.
0: Yeah, it's an investment.
1: Yeah, sure. it was an investment, and at yeah. that point, I was still teaching. I was teaching at universities, but I was still on a zero-hour mm. contract. So having the money in one big chunk was difficult. So I messaged them and asked if I could um, pay in installments.
0: Mm. And they are so lovely. So
1: oh, because yeah so I paid in installments it was a challenge but I paid in installments so I could do the course but I didn't technically have enough money because it was in now I'm a Namby Pambie Londoner and I can never remember where it was it was outside London it's in Tetbury, yeah. thank you it was there so it's funny when I was telling my friends and family that I was going to do a course in leatherwork, um and they said where are you going it's like oh somewhere in the Cotswolds and like Cotswolds. where I was like I don't know <laughs> I'm just doing a course and I was like, born in London I don't know anything <laughs> don't know outside of London <laughs> I'm very like, oh, I don't know where I'm going. i like, you're going somewhere by yourself for a week and you don't know where you're going. Yep. <laughs> oh, you did the whole week course. I did the week course, but I couldn't afford, I could afford the course, I could afford the travel, the accommodation was being quite a challenge. So mm-hmm. I sort of spoke to some of my friends and said, do you want to um, go on a holiday and we share a, a cottage, but I won't be around because I'll be doing a course, <laughs> but we share in a cottage. And they just went, no, we'll just sponsor you. So they actually oh, nice. gave me some money so I could afford to stay there and do that one week course, which I'm so glad I did. It was amazing and I learnt so much. And it was funny because the tools I had wasn't <clears throat> weren't great. I was just starting, so I was just mm-hmm. getting tools and not really knowing. And then uh, on the course, Valerie and Michael, they had tools that you could buy. But again, I couldn't afford the tools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just a bit like, oh. And then Valerie said, oh, well, what you can do is you can take the tools away and then pay in mm. installments, but I don't like owing money. Yeah. So I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. And she was just a bit like, oh, okay. So that evening I went home because it was for the week and I was talking to mum on the phone because obviously she was worried about me because she had no clue where I was and I had no clue where I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I was told her what was offered and she went, you stupid girl, when you go back the next day, tell her do yes. Yeah. So I went back and said, um, yeah, I'll think. I'll it." And Valerie just went... Hmm. Good idea. Good yeah. idea. Yeah. So I think
0: I, it's so much of like how yeah. we are as craftspeople and self-employed as we think we have to do it on our own. Yeah. But craft is not a solo endeavour. It's like You not. can't make it without,
1: no. without the help
0: not. of so many people. Yeah. Um, and Valerie and Neil certainly helped me. Yeah. Um, you know, just just having the encouragement and the validation that what you're doing is right. Yeah, is is all you need to keep going. Yeah. Um. Because when I started, um. Again, for me, the course was an investment, and leatherworking wasn't so accessible. Then it's not. You know, even it's still, now it's still. Yeah. It's 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 ironic because it's one of the most accessible crafts. You can literally do it on a table. You know, you need some hand stitching thread, yeah. a clamp, some leather, and some needles, and and that's it, really, and and some pricking irons, but um so it's 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 really easy to do at home but it's still quite inaccessible in in learning the craft um but just having people that give you a little bit of encouragement kind of really helps to that was a good starting
1: point it really was and then not long after i'd done that course there was uh because before i'd done a, a couple of short courses at city lit that were like um hobby type courses. Another working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. why I went, Oh, I want to do more. Cause I was doing stuff by myself and then I was like, oh, I wanna do more, I wanna do more, I wanna do more. I want to do more. I was like more. And um Yeah, so doing that course for that week, it was a bit like, Oh, now I got it. Mm-hmm. And then I went back and I started to do more and more of that. And then um at the time, uh because they um, there was lots of other leather workers at Cockpit who were there through the Leather Sellers Award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was at Cockpit through my other work and my other craft. So there was there was the room that I couldn't have access to because I wasn't a leather seller. And I was a bit like... And then I was told I couldn't apply for Leather Sellers because mm-hmm. I was already at Cockpit, even though I hadn't had an award. And I was a bit like... But um, it was good because uh, London Craft Week, Valerie, she was doing a box stitching mm-hmm. short course. So I went to do that and that was fun as well and it was interesting because mark came and he sat and done mark tallowin yeah he sat and did the box stitching because he was like oh i've never done this before so he's learning i was a bit like oh my god i really admire his work and think his stuff's amazing and it's like he's still learning so stop being so hard on myself yeah but- i think
0: that was something that happened when we met because oh. i was very uh, insecure <laughs> when i came to cockpit and you were like I've seen your work. <laughs> what do you mean? What? How can you be insecure? And I was like, That's no, I'm not confident get.
1: about my work at all. I didn't get it. Because when I saw your work, because when Valerie emailed me and you about teaching at the schools <clears> and I thought, me, are you crazy? And I saw your work and I was thinking, mm. and so when I met you and I knew you was teaching at the schools, I was like, yeah, it's perfect. I saw your work. And then you was like, oh, I'm and not sure. And we were talking, I mean, yes. <laughs> I don't think I'm that good. And I'm like, are you crazy? Do you not see what I see? So that was really interesting and enlightening. I think also what's helped me as well is teaching because it's funny through pattern cutting as well. I was always not Mm. sure, not didn't think I was good enough. One of the, um, pattern cutters in one of the jobs I had when I started working, she just kept on saying, you need to have more confidence in yourself. You know what you're doing. And one of my old, um, pattern cutting managers, when I left the place I was at for the longest, I was there for four years, Oasis, oh, good old days. Um, in my card, she gave me, uh, on my leaving card, she just gave me a leaving card, didn't it? She? she put confidence is the key. Mm. And I looked at it at the time, it was years ago, and I was like, what she talking about? But I kept the card because I was like, okay, because I'm a bit of a hoarder. And then years later, when I started teaching and I found the card and I was like, oh, now I get it. Because it was when I thought I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Mm. But actually I can. It's very hard as a creative to believe in yourself. Because I think you I find it the hardest. You thing find it the hardest because you're yeah. your own worst critic, because you can see all the faults. So there's things I'll make and I can say, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Where somebody who knows nothing about what you've done, they just go, oh, that's amazing. And I'm mm. just like, can you not see all the mistakes? So it's a bit.
0: But I different. think it's um, <laughs> coming to terms with the fact that there's, they're not really mistakes. It's, it's Work the nature of working yeah. with your hands, I think. Yeah um and I've come to accept that how something looks while I'm making it is not how it's going to look when I finished and I have to finish I can't judge it throughout the process yeah um what what was the first moment that you actually discovered leather work or how how did you get into leather because you said that you were doing something else
1: oh because um I mean my first small insight into leather was when like years ago when I was studying fashion and there was this Brilliant fabric shop on Brick Lane, not Brick Lane, Electric Avenue in Brixton, and there was a bit of leather there, and I was like, "Oh!" and I bought it, but I didn't know what to do with mm. it, so it sat for ages and ages. But then, what happened was, why? When I moved to Cockpit, I was doing coats and jackets, and I was actually my actual direction I was going to go into when I moved to Cockpit was I was going to um, go into like a higher end coats and jackets, more bespoke, because before I was doing production version. Mm. of um garments but when I first moved there for the first open studios I was like well I've got fabric and one sample because it's made to order what am I going to have on display for open studios but I was already making my own bags I was making fabric bags in my first business meeting and I wish I remember the woman's name and I was saying I don't know what to do I haven't got nothing and I was like but I've got these bags that I make I had one of my bags I had on the floor and people had sort of seen my fabric bags and gone oh where's that that's nice and I was like oh yeah thanks and just ignored it actually sorry I'm gone on a tangent Um, when I was made redundant from one of my pattern cutting jobs my one of my old pattern managers she saw one of the bags I made because she'd got some stuff from um, when the company was shutting down she saw my rucksack bag that I'd made a very basic one and she's like oh that's nice so thank you she's like I'll buy one of them and I was like oh yeah sure and just ignored it but then that cockpit back to how I got into Mm. leather I made some bags up for open studios some fabric bags and they sold I was like, oh, this is
0: always good. (laughs) Hmm.
1: People actually want to buy my bags, really. (laughs) And then I made a few more. I made a few more. Then I thought, oh, I think I'm going to try leather handles. Natural progression, yeah. Yeah, I thought I'd try leather handles. And then there was a weaver at Cockpit who suddenly, do you know the DMs where they say, oh, I've got stuff for sale? Yeah. And she said, oh, I've got some leather for sale. Um, And it's really cheap. And I was like, oh, I can get someone to try and do some straps. So I got some to try to do some straps and I made some bags of the straps, and I was like, oh, I don't like it. Oh, this isn't working. I thought, let me try and make something. I was like, you know what, I think I need to do a course, because I I don't know what I'm doing. So I did a short course, I'm not going to say where, um, on an introduction in sewing leather. It wasn't very good, which is why I'm not saying (laughs) where it was. So, and then afterwards, I was thinking, then I made a bag, I made my first bag, which was, because originally I wanted to mix leather with fabric. So I made a, denim bag with leather and fabric and I used the leather from the leather I got when I was studying years ago because I'd kept it that long so I used that leather I was like oh finally I can use that leather and I made it up and went eh, I don't think in but then what happened was through cockpit there was an opportunity to do a pop-up shop with some other um, cockpitters and ex-cotpiters <clears throat> and I met um, Catherine Pogson oh yeah, yeah. she was also a, a level worker she used to be at cockpit she <coughs> left and we took turns doing the pop-up shop and i was talking to her about that course at that place i was like oh it wasn't very really good and i was showing her what i was done and she's like oh um well i want to teach because she yeah she was teaching she yeah. yeah i was working at city lit at the time and i was a course coordinator because i was covering as a covering somebody's maternity leave. So part of my job as a course coordinator is to introduce new courses. Okay. And then I was talking to Catherine about mm-hmm. the course I'd done at that place. And I wasn't that impressed. And she was like, and then I said where I was working now. And she was like, I've been trying to contact City Lit about offering leather courses, but they never seemed to get back to me. And I was like, ah, I'm working there right now. Mm-hmm. So it's um, so so perfectly, uh, it was good uh, timing and it was good for me and it's good for her. So I was just like, I'm sure we can get some short courses uh, set up at City Lit. Because I was thinking, oh, I can do them and I can get a discount. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah, organised that. She started doing courses. The first course she did at City Lit was really just designing a bag. So it wasn't actually leather work, but it got her in the door. Mm. And she showed a little bit of hand stitching in that because she sneaked some of that in. And then the following term, we incorporated, incorporated mm. it into the, into the curriculum there. Which was great. And then, of course, as soon as that was incorporated into the curriculum, I was one of the first people on the list for... Yeah, yeah. So I did two more courses with her and that's kind of got me that's started. Got so I made started. my first bag and my first belt on that short course with City, uh, City Lit. So it was like uh, one day a week for three weeks. I was actually um, getting uh, short courses in private classes on improving my bespoke tailoring because I did that at... When I studied fashion... On my second course, I did a year where I specialised in bespoke tailoring. And then I, I went into industry, so I didn't get to do mm. bespoke tailoring. I was doing um, mass production and I became a pattern cutter. So I wasn't actually doing it. But then with my business, I knew I wanted to move. At that point, I wanted to move my clothes to more bespoke. Mm. So I was doing short courses on that. So technically, I was cheating on tailoring with leather. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you were juggling these two yeah. crafts. Yes, and so your background is actually in fashion yes. and pattern cutting. Yeah. And how did you get into that? That's your first route. That's the... That
1: was my first route. Yeah. Um, I knew I wanted to be a fashion designer. I made my mind up at 12. I was umming and ahhing about other things mm. when I was between 10 and 11. There was one time I actually thought I wanted to be a... No, I'm not going to say that. That was what? really silly. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I When I was a kid, though, there used to be a TV show called... Um, Lee Majors, what was his name? It was a stuntman and he had this silly song. It was a really good feel. Uh, I forgot the TV show. I I forgot what it was called. But I used to love watching that and all the stunts that they used to do. And I was like, ooh, that looks like fun jumping off buildings and all that stuff. I want to be a (laughs) stuntwoman. Stupid. But um, yeah, that didn't last long. That's like a childhood thing. But
0: the only thing I wanted to be was a pilot. That was my first. Ah. thing yeah other than that I didn't have any idea about what
1: I wanted to do no I had quite a few random things I had a I actually had a list (laughs) because I like drawing as well so it was artist stunt woman oh archaeologist because I loved history Mm. um designer there was something else I was thinking of and I can't remember what it was something to do with making because I uh, my dad worked in the building trade so I kind of liked all that kind of making mm. stuff because he was a painter decorator. So, so
0: I liked you were that quite aware well.
1: of creative. Yeah, my mum was a machinist. Yeah. So my mum, when she was young, she, when she was young, oh yeah, when she was young, when she was working, she was a machinist in the factories. And one of my earliest mm. memories is going to a factory with my mum. I don't remember the factory. I just remember I went to the factory if her. I, visited, I was with her at work and at lunch we had cake and custard. That's what I remember, but I know she worked in the factory because at home. And then when the factory started to close down, she used to work at home and she used to have an industrial machine. Okay, so you were always around. Yeah, but I was scared of the industrial machine. Tailoring and yeah, but yeah, I've always been around it. And then when I was I was drawing clothes and stuff, and then the clothes show was on, mm-hmm. and I still love draw. I used to draw clothes, and then Mum had a market store for a short time. And I used to help her out on Saturdays. And there was a lady there, I can't remember her name. She was studying at London College of Fashion. So she saw my drawings and she was like, oh, you need a fashion template. So she gave me some templates to draw on and stuff. So I was loving doing that. And I used to make clothes for my um, Barbie. I cut off all her hair because her hair got on my nose. But she was bald. <laughs> but I made clothes for her. Um, hand sewing because I couldn't use a sewing machine. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I used to, um, I wanted a matching outfit. So I, cut up a pair of socks so she had the dress a hat and leggings and mum's like stop cutting up your socks so that's when she started to give me fabric
0: so do you think that having a creative career was not a choice in as much as it's something you had to do because you that's couldn't fit into
1: yeah. something else no no because um and that that was the thing that was the battle because I like reading I like learning but I didn't like the structure of academia, mm. ironically considering what I do now for <laughs> job. Do what you do now, yeah. But um I found it frustrating because it's like you do that little bit and then you stop. And you oh you're right, you've ticked that box. Okay, you've ticked that box, mm. okay, you've you've met that criteria. Whereas with creativity, there's no box ticking. You just keep yeah. going. So you make something and you go, okay, right, I've got that. Okay, how can I? find that how can I fix that what can I do with that Mm. what do I learn with that or what other technique can I do whereas yeah I don't like being restricted and creative stuff means I'm not restrictive Mm. because I started off doing clothes and garments and because of creativity I ended up getting interested in leather and then my whole I mean I've changed my whole studio yeah. yeah. too. I've still got elements of the um, fashion element because obviously I've still got my toe in the fashion element because I teach pattern cutting now, which is why I say it's ironic that I mm-hmm. said about academia, but then I'm still, I'm in academia, but I'm in the creative element of academia. Um, There's one time I hurt my um, back and I had to go to a physio and they were asking me what I did for work. And I was like, oh, I'm a pattern cutter and I'm a designer maker and I create and make things. And da, da, da. And then they said, oh, what do you do as a hobby? And I went, I create and make things. And <laughs> And they're like, oh, okay. So yeah, it's just, it's just part of what you do. I mean, even when I try to, if I need to switch off from work, work, I find that hard because I love making. Mm. So- um,
0: You have to keep your hands busy. I have to keep my hands busy.
1: So- Sometimes I'd like doing at home, I'd like sort of drawing or painting things, but then that gets quite messy. So it's kind of like, then that becomes more work mm. as well. So I've recently learned to crochet finally. And that's been quite good because then I'm, I'm doing something hands. with my yeah. hands. And yeah, I love that. Yeah. I can't imagine doing anything else. It's just, it's calming.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. don't, I'm, I, I mean, obviously I often get asked about whether I had a creative background and I can't really identify as having one as strongly as yours. But I was in India in February and that kind of really changed my perspective on what craft is or what creativity is. And because in India, craft is an everyday Fact of life. People interact with it as people sitting on the floor making stuff. And there's even the food is crafted. You know, we don't really think about food as a craft, but it is, you know, when it's made from scratch, Mm. it is a craft. And I guess then I realized that I was actually surrounded by craft as a child because all of our food was cooked from scratch, our clothes were made. And those are the things that we are losing in a way. And this year was my first time going to collect the craft art fair. I've not been before. And I think had I gone before, I would have felt bad and compared myself. But having that contrast of being in India where craft is a fact of life, everyone interacts with it. And then going to this fair where the craft was on plinths and on the walls and some of the makers were there but to me it felt really soulless actually and had I not had that stark contrast I don't think I would have made that connection mm. and so I'm at that point where I'm really examining what craft means to me because for me it was never about starting a business but it's about doing something I love mm. because I didn't fit into the boxes that I had chosen for myself mm. because that's what I thought I had to do and what I thought I knew, and that's why I became a solicitor. But from the moment I stepped into university, I knew that it wasn't for me. Mm. Like I knew that I didn't want to sit in an office and and do that. But it's been a long journey... To figure out, and I'm still figuring it out, and that's what even this whole podcast is about yeah. because I'm trying to figure out what it means to me and how I want it to be a part of my life because I love making and I've been doing leather work now since 2014. But even though you might see me as successful and other people might see me as successful, I, don't, I haven't reached, I don't think, the level of success in terms of financially or as a brand but I'm realising that it's because it's not what I want and so I have this tension of like loving something and I do it for myself but again I've left one box and gone into another box which is the standard route which is you found something you like to do something make something employ people outsource it make more things sell more things and and actually, I'm starting to realize that that's not for me, yeah, so again, I'm going down another uncharted path, and it's exhausting to be honest,
1: yeah, but I wish
0: I could just <laughs> have like something that I could cling to.
1: The journey's part of the process though, because when I first started my business deco twenty two started off as a clothing label, mm. it actually started off as a <laughs> A petite women's wear label. And I used to do like uh, really girly dresses and stuff. And again, I started you off doing with really girly dresses. Me, girly <laughs> dresses. It's like, that's the thing, you have to know yourself. Because I was just like doing what people... Because I could design For, it and yeah. I could draw it and I could pattern cut it. I was following the path that I assumed I should mm, take. Mm. So my first start, stuff I started to do... Some of the fabrics as well is like that chiffon these things, which I hate. So I'd have to get somebody else to uh, sew it and things. And that was all wrong. And then it was the business model that I had was wrong. And then I changed it again to more um, ready-to-wear stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I was designing, making, and sewing all the stuff myself. And I had a market store at Greenwich Market. I was basically working seven days a week because mm-hmm. I was doing that and freelance pattern cutting for f- fashion companies as well so I was just doing it doing it doing it doing it and I was it was the wrong path and it took me years to figure it out so I kept trying to do that kept trying Mm. to do that then when I moved to cockpit obviously my health deteriorated actually and then I had to stop working seven days a week which is why I refuse to work seven days a week now
0: So do you think that things just don't work if they're not right for you because you were working hard yeah, and it wasn't working though
1: Because I was on the wrong path Yeah. So but The thing is, I learned a lot from it. So I don't regret doing any of those things. Mm -hmm. And I met some really talented and and interesting people and learned a lot about myself. I mean, if somebody told me that I'd be getting up... uh, This is when I had um, Charlie. I called that car Charlie. It was like a TARDIS. I'd go to the studio, load all the stuff into the car, drive down, unload the... um, no, I'd wait to see if I could get a spot for Greenwich Market because I was I wasn't permanent, mm-hmm. so I had to wait to get a spot. Then I'd unload the car, set up the thing, and then drive the car back to to be parked. Then walk back down to do Greenwich Market, and very rare. I was literally once I did that for nearly two years, wow. but then doing the maths and sat sat down and because I do the bookkeeping stuff. Ironically, of my business, the first two years, my freelance work I actually was making a profit. But that wasn't really the direction I wanted to go in. And then the market store stuff was actually making a loss.
0: Mm.
1: And then I sat down and actually worked out properly the cost of designing and making the garments and then how much I was selling them for. And I realised what I was actually doing was, here is a skirt I made and here's some money. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was basically giving away the skirt and giving away some money because I, was, I wasn't costing it properly because I was trying to price my things for a market store yeah. So there's lots of other market stalls there that were set up who were saying they were handmade, but they weren't. They were mass produced in the factory. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to compete with people who were getting stuff mass produced, which is a, another whole other mm-hmm. ball game. Because often people who are working in the factories and doing things that are mass produced, they're really talented people, but they're paid pittance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I
0: saw that in in India yeah. when I went to leather goods factories, and they're making stuff for all of the luxury brands of Europe. Yeah, and I don't think anybody would think that there's factories full of Indian women in saris yeah. making their leather goods. It's just not. It's what you throughout
1: think. the industry because obviously I've worked in I worked in the fashion industry for years as a pattern cutter for um, retailers and things like that. So all the things that are mass produced, a lot of them are. So a lot of people, when they get all excited about labels, I'm just a bit like, yeah, that's just the label. It's probably made in the same factory and then just put a different label in. So yeah. I, I'm not paying that when I know that you're paying for the label.
0: But I think that it's it, it's interesting that we talk about paying for labels because most labels started somewhere, right? In fact, all labels probably yeah. started somewhere. And the ones that command a high price now command it because they've been around for... Yeah maybe hundreds of years yeah. and then they go through that phase of it was probably crafted and, and maybe some of them still are and mm. but maybe some of them are mass produced and you go through that phase of increasing your profit by yeah. um, decreasing your cost of production. But that label commands a price for a reason. And I think I've noticed a lot of focus now, especially about moving away from expensive labels because of that Mm. but that I think also sends the wrong message right because it's saying that there isn't a cost in the production of something there is a cost and there is a cost and I don't mean that in just in the cost of production but as you've just said about your whole journey it's taken you well our lifetime to get to where you are mm. and that's the hidden cost right that's the cost that you can't factor in mm. but you somehow have to make because you want to make a living so we can just look at the cost of the materials and the cost of your labor for that particular mm. piece but there's all these other costs that you've had to bear yeah uh, not not just not just material costs not just financial costs but emotional costs because I go through an emotional roller coaster every day.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Different paths for different people. So not everything's about money because if I, if everything was about for me, if it was about money, I wouldn't be in a studio. I wouldn't be teaching. I'd be working full time in the fashion industry still. I do what I do because I like to make and I like to be creative and I've Maneuver everything so that I'm creative. When people, there's this box that everyone has these set boxes that they mm-hmm. think I belong in, and they always seem to be chasing me with that box. And I'm always, no, back off. To but did get you know you in.
0: always wanted your own business? Yeah. Or you did
1: always. Yeah, that was when always I was studying that. at um, oh. my, my course and stuff, I didn't say out loud to anybody, but I always knew I wanted to do my own do your business. Own thing. But then my dad worked for himself. My dad had always um, had his own. Um, painting and decorating business and he was very happy he was a very happy man anyway he was very happy and bubbly Mm. and um I saw that and that was what I aspired to do I mean my mum tried to do her own business and it didn't work but then my dad Mm. had his own business and I kind of saw that as that's what I want your blueprint yeah Yeah. and then I had other family members who had their own business and worked for themselves and things and I was kind of like yeah, I, I, I like that. Why is craft important to you or creativity?
0: <sighs> or why do you think it's important? Because you also teach it. so.
1: Yeah, I love it. That's, it just, I love creating. I love making. I love the process of it. I like figuring something out. I love putting something together. Even sometimes when I put something together and I go, oh, okay, that didn't work. And then I'm tearing it apart at the time I'm tearing it apart, I may not feel that I enjoy it, mm. but sometimes just the, ah, rah, rah, kind of helps release because emotions are important. I just, I can't, I forgot the question. Is it the figuring out or? It's not just the figuring out. It's the doing, it's the figuring out. It's the excitement of, oh, what happens if I do that? Or what's that? Mm. Oh, oh, or you try something and what, the comes out isn't what you're expecting but then you go, oh no that's wrong and then you go, oh wait a minute, I could use that little bit, I can use that little mm. bit so I like the conversation it's not even the conversation of other, with other people it's the conversation you have with, the, or is it just me, the thing that you're making Oh, yeah, am I the only person you, who talks the thing that you make?
0: No, it's the conversation you're having with yeah. the material,
1: and it's the material yourself
0: in relation to it.
1: Because you try it with one material and go, actually, that doesn't work. Let me try it with this one. Oh yeah, this one works better. I did, mm. oh. Yeah, it's yeah. I can't. I don't think I can put it into words. It just makes me very, very happy. Mm. and very very sad and very very angry and very very frustrated and very excited it it gives me all the emotions so it makes you alive basically ah that's it yes yeah Yeah. which I guess maybe
0: you don't necessarily have in in a job in the same way
1: but then I've I'm unusual compared to most people I know I've only ever the only job I did that wasn't directly linked to creativity was my Saturday job mm. at W.A. Smith's. But then, again, the magazines and, yeah. and the art equipment.
0: Um, so were you always somebody who wanted to figure things out? Like as a child, were you doing stuff?
1: Well, I'd make dolls clothes. clothes. and And um, I did sometimes take apart things that I couldn't put back together. I did that too. Yeah. I really I know around. that I wouldn't be able to put them back together. Yeah, but. I didn't know I would put put back together. And I have kind of sometimes touched things that I shouldn't <laughs> sort of. I um mm. I decided to fix something instead of getting somebody to help. And then I kind of um shouldn't play with electricity. Turns out. Yeah, yeah electric shocks hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've always liked Yeah, I've always just liked making things and trying things and Looking at things and taking them apart or just drawing things. It started with, I love drawing and love mm. art and I like making a mess.
0: I don't know how to engage in making a mess. So how if can you
1: learn? I don't to? know. So if you didn't know how to um, build a stall, what would you do?
0: That's, I don't know, it feels almost different because those are like formulaic things, right? You can go and learn how to do something formulaic, but
1: it feels like this so is not go, formulaic in yeah, a way. Yeah, but if you can learn how to how build a do you a learn a non-formula? So what kind of, it's something creative and how to be creative and how to make a mess. Mm. So where could you start with that? It doesn't have to be leather. When I wasn't sure what I was going to do, the last, the job I got fired from, Mm. I was so happy. So that just brought me so much joy. When I wasn't sure what I was going to do and I was working four days a week, so I had one day to do something. I started to do little short courses. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was doing, I did a local evening class on drawing that had nothing to do with anything else, but I just Mm. wanted to do something creative because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So it doesn't have to be connected to something. Just do Mm. something creative that's messy
0: Mm.
1: and then don't worry about it. And then it will... Kind of help free your mind. And if you don't know how to, yeah, yeah. or do something that is, find a course that is about developing your creativity Mm -hmm. or something that is very vague and quite fluffy and has no outcome. Mm.
0: Because
1: there's stuff out there like that. I mean, I wish I'd known when I was younger about foundation art courses. Because I just went on to do a BTEC in fashion. But then I later on, I found out about the foundation art courses where I could have done fashion, um, photography, mm. ceramics and all that. And I was like, oh, I could have done that. But there's stuff like that out there. There's little short courses mm. and stuff you could do. Or some of the places, I don't know if they still do it, but there's some places where they have like a summer school where you can go and do like little elements of different things yeah. mm. and it doesn't have to lead to anything.
0: But it's just I think that's the hardest thing. Is like it doesn't have to lead
1: doesn't, to anything. yeah creativity doesn't have to have a final outcome. Just create.
0: Mm. I have been thinking over the past few days about what it might, how it might look, and I don't know if it is necessarily about unbridling my creativity, but maybe seeing my creativity in context. So I've always been making my work in my studio on my own, and then figuring out how to put it out into the world. And maybe now it's gonna be something where it is in conversation with it being out into the world. So not just me making it, but maybe like it's being made for a person or it's oh. being made for an event. So it's no longer me just being by myself, but but not yeah, so not being by myself and being safe and contained, but oh. breaking off that plaster in a way and and linking the craft back to what, where it may end up or who it may end up on So actually going out and making those connections and rather than sitting it sounds
1: like that. you're overthinking instead of just making but, but maybe the making is not
0: the physical making but it's the making of a connection yeah
1: that's what but then maybe what it is you need to do is start just exploring what interests you and what mm. inspires you first and seeing what kind of message you can make from the inspiration mm. with no end goal
0: to be, to be continued yeah <laughs> thank you for listening to Outside Craft with me Yusuf Osman my guest today was Jasmine Kerry you can keep the conversation going with us on Instagram at Yusico and find out more about Jasmine at Deco22 Studio. This podcast was produced by The Leather Sellers. The Leather Sellers is a 600-year-old organisation in the City of London focused on enabling individuals and communities through their work with charities, fostering opportunity through education and supporting a sustainable UK leather industry. To learn more about their work... Follow the link in the podcast description.